Welcome to the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Helms, aka The Shameless Shrink. And in this podcast, we talk about all things psychology, brain, and body in a way that is entertaining, educational, and relevant to therapists and psychology enthusiasts alike. We answer your questions and delve into deep topics every week to help destigmatize therapy in the Midwest. Thank you for journeying with me along the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast. Hey guys, this is episode number three. And again, shameless plug, I do want to talk about the fact that I work with eating disorders and we are hoping to open a intensive outpatient unit that serves eating disorders all across the spectrum, including binge eating disorder. So look out for that because more details will be coming soon. But today I actually wanted to talk about a topic that... um, how do I frame this? I don't feel like a lot of therapists often want to talk about the ways in which they might make mistakes. And so today we're going to talk about the four common mistakes that even good therapists make, myself included. I definitely created this list from my own trial and error, but I think the fact that you know we're able, if we're willing and able to look on our own mistakes and be open to feedback and be open to um, really that self of the therapist, which is that ability to reflect upon what we do and learn from that. It is such a strength for us and will only make us better therapists and better humans and whatever we're doing. So although it's kind of hard to talk about at times, I think that, you know, it's incredibly important that we do talk about this subject. So this was inspired from a blog I created about, a year ago in 2017. And so I'm going to be reading from that blog, but I will also add my own asides and kind of um, iterate from what I already have, you know, created and crafted. But let's go ahead and talk about it. So therapists are human, just as human as the rest of us, and they will make mistakes on a daily basis. I, for one, will be the first to admit that I make them all the time. In fact, I believe that there was research that came out and said that we make mistakes or errors on average about 39 times a day. So yeah, so we as humans are definitely fallible, but there's a lot we can gain from learning from them and being aware of especially like the big mistakes that we make um, that can at times continue for a long time when we don't realize that we're making them. There's this saying that will say like, you know, you don't know what you don't know, which sounds pretty like, you know, simple and like, duh, you don't know what you don't know. But it's very powerful when you really think about it, because there's so many things that all of us are doing that we don't really quite know about ourselves until we have some experience that we learned from. Or, you know, for me, when I was going through my grad school experience, we had to videotape our sessions and... I said videotape, but anyway, that was kind of a, at first I was really not a big fan of that, but over time I got to see the importance of it because there were things I started to notice about myself and see that if I hadn't recorded myself, then I wouldn't have seen those things. And so, yeah, there's, there's things that we could do for a long time without realizing that we're doing them. Um, And so I created a list of some of the common mistakes that I've made along with some of my peers and what looks and what to like look out for when seeking a good therapist as well. So from the client perspective, these are also things to pay attention to. 
So number one, thinking too much about how to respond versus just listening. When we're in our heads, we are terrible listeners. It's just the way humans are created. We can't multitask very well. When I first began therapy, I would often get really caught up in what amazing insight I wanted to point out to my client that I would really miss the big picture and not truly be present with them. I would wait for a pause and sometimes even <laughs> I'd be so impatient to respond that I would cut them off. That that happened. And so my amazing insight is never really better than listening to the client and giving them space to process. Um, plus, most of the time, my amazing insight, and again, I'm putting this kind of in quotation marks um, as I'm saying them, is not what the client always needs, especially when you give them the impression you're just advising on them or just trying to, um, yeah, advice on their life. Oftentimes people really know kind of, you know, they know the logistics of what they're supposed to do. And, you know, therapy isn't about giving them advice and telling them the logistical pieces, because if it were that simple, they could easily just read a book and it, you know, and they could, could move through that. But there's often so many different layers that we have as humans that keep us from doing the logical things and even barriers within our bodies and how we're feeling that can keep us from doing that thing. So again, you know, having this wonderful insight isn't always what the client needs. Much of the therapy magic is done through creating space for people to come to their own insights too. Like my insights aren't always going to be the best thing for every person because we're all so unique. Um, And Our job is to help them expand their ways of thinking and to grow and develop these things on their own, not to do that thinking for them. So anyway, my insight never trumps that. The second common mistake even a good therapist can make is pretending to be an emotionless robot. I used to think that when you were doing therapy, it was a time to cut off your attention from yourself and fully absorb the other person. While being present is super important, it's not very relationship building when we aren't aware of what's going on within our own bodies, emotionally or physically. In fact, naming our own discomfort or feeling feelings during the session can, when done well, be very healing. I now let my clients know when I'm feeling a bit off because of sickness, or if I just heard really bad news, or if I feel like my heart is racing as a couple yells back and forth. I pause try to differentiate and tell them, I'm noticing that in myself, I'm feeling my heart race and I'm having a hard time keeping up. Can you slow things down for me a bit? And 9.9 times out of 10, this is way more helpful for clients than pretending like I'm a robot and like I'm not anxious or as they engage in war or telling me about past trauma. By modeling our own emotion regulation, this helps clients learn to name their feelings and stay in the moment too. Helping our clients build that skill is one of the most healing things that we can do. This is something I see very commonly in session. There will be times where, you know, a client is grieving and I'm going to be feeling that sadness too. Or, you know, again, when a couple is, is engaging in all out war, you know, it is, it's a lot more helpful for you to tell them how you're feeling and show them emotion regulation, because I think as therapists, we often forget that modeling these behaviors is incredibly important to the learning process 
and just giving them an experience of what that even might be like to be with another person in the room that is regulating their emotions. So that is also one of the biggest things that we can do to help our clients. And again, we're not supposed to be emotionless robots. And thank goodness, because I am really bad at playing one. This next one kind of hits me in a, an incredibly personal way because it was, it was one of the things that I got feedback on during my grad school experience that, has, that I will always remember and has really helped me become a better therapist. Um, the third mistake we can make is caring too much about your client's success. And yes, I said caring too much. Um, when we are overly invested in our clients making positive changes, it is important for us to stand back and ask ourselves, why am I really this invested? Is it about my client's long-term well-being or is it about my need for them to be successful so my ego doesn't take a hit? When we are pushing for our client's success and stressing ourselves out in the process, and that's often called like working for the client, um, that's not a good thing. And in my grad school experience, I remember, I think the quote was, don't let your anxiety run your session. And I took that really to heart because my anxiety, it was more like performance anxiety where I just wanted to be such a good therapist. I wanted to do such good work and I wanted my client to heal, you know, for their, their reasons too. But, you know, honestly, a lot for my own ego and a lot for my own feelings of being a good therapist. And so when I was called out for that at one point, when I was just getting so frustrated that a client wasn't getting better, um, it was incredibly helpful and has furthermore changed the way that I relate to other humans and people in therapy. Um, Just not trying so hard or trying to do the work for them because I need them to succeed. Um. So yeah, I really, what I didn't realize was when I was working for my clients, I was often doing their work for them and they never actually learned how to do the work for themselves. So when we care too much about client outcomes, we often end up feeling stressed out and unable to be the presence that our clients need us to be as well. So there's so many different factors as to how this can make therapy a not good experience, but ultimately it's important that we allow our clients to be in their struggle. We allow them to be where they are in their journey and not trying to push them to a place they don't, they're not ready to be or aren't really even able to be in some ways. And so that was a hard thing for me to learn because again, I thought it was coming from this really good attention of wanting well for my clients, but really I had to work on my own anxiety and my own desire to do work for my clients so that I could let them learn and struggle and grow themselves. And that's definitely helped my therapy tremendously in so many different ways. The last mistake that even good therapists make are making assumptions about culture or about what people know. Um, So for me, I used to think that most people had what was called theory of mind or the ability to think about one's mind and thoughts from an observational view. Um, Here, let me hash that out a little bit. So like theory of mind is like the ability to see that other people have minds and that um, we can kind of observe our own mind and we can observe other people's minds 
and kind of understand that when somebody does something mean to us, um, that that isn't necessarily always about us or our behaviors. There's so many other things that might be going on for them in their own mind as to why they might be putting that energy out into us. And again, I thought that was something that a lot of people just understood or a skill that they had, but I was wrong. I was very wrong. And in fact, especially people that have had a lot of trauma, they really struggle to even name their emotions. Um, I had one client who I'm very fond of and has worked through this, but um, one of the, uh, the things that he would tell me is I'm either pissed off or okay. Those were the two emotions he had. And so as we worked through therapy, you know, part of that was expanding his emotional vocabulary, but also letting him like realize what emotions were in his body. Because again, he'd really only identified two emotions in his life thus far. Um, So yeah, I've learned that I can never assume I understand what a person will believe or what their cultural outlook is. Um... I remember that I was really confused and surprised when I had a transgender client when I was going through my grad school program, um, and it was embracing that they were so embracing of so many different genders and sexualities, um, but still, this person who was transgender had a bias towards gay men, and to me, that was really surprising because I was like, well, I figured that if people were very open-minded in one way, that they'd be open-minded in other ways. And, you know, and again, I'm not trying to, um, label that or say open-minded or closed-minded as a negative thing. But again, to me, it was just a surprising thing where I learned that I can never make assumptions about how a person feels or believes. Um, so I'm learning to open up my mind and to experiences of embracing these viewpoints and at least understanding, uh, where my clients are coming from even though I know that I will always have my own background as well and my own views and values. And again, like understanding that their experiences, you know, make sense in context, just as mine do. And yeah, just trying to not make assumptions, but that can be really tricky because our brain naturally likes to categorize things and put them into boxes Not because we're jerks, but because that's the way that it was designed. And so I really think that people often have to practice what we call a second thought and really pay attention to their second thoughts because those are the ones that they usually can control versus that automatic first thought when it comes to making assumptions about people and experiences and things. So anyway, that's all I have for you guys today. If you have any common mistakes that I missed, please let me know because I would, I would love to learn and grow from you as well. And I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week. And, you know, I really hope that, you know, I, I've been very grateful for gratitude, which I know sounds really kind of cliche, but gratitude has been a game changer for me when I've really struggled with the blues or just feeling down in life. Um, it has opened up. I feel like so many different avenues of finding joy in the moment. And so Thanksgiving is all about gratitude. And I'd really encourage you guys, if you don't already have a gratitude practice in your life, to try one. Um, I know that it can sound really woo-woo, but 
the more that we're able to find things that we're grateful for, the more creative our brain is, the more we can think about other possibilities because it actually takes imagination to be grateful. Um, and so that's one benefit. And then the second benefit is finding that, wow, like at least most of us here in America, we have so, so much to be grateful for. And I know even for myself, I'm kind of like this go-getter that's always moving and trying new things and doing new things and challenging myself that when I get caught up in my failures or if I'm getting caught up in what I haven't achieved yet, it's really easy for me to get into this space where I forget to be grateful. And so I'd encourage you guys to look at your lives and to find the little things to be grateful for, you know, smiles from kids and, you know, toilet paper being available and, you know, these little things that might sound silly, but they are, they all measure up and we do have so much here in the U.S. and I'm incredibly grateful for that and I'm grateful for you guys listening to my podcast. I'm excited for the next couple of weeks because I have some um, therapists that I've interviewed in the K and so They will be coming up and sharing their wonderful expertise. Until then, happy Thanksgiving.